This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 126, the first part of the story about Frank Hart, who was the Jackie Robinson of the 19th century ultra running. He broke the color barrier and fought racism with his feet and sometimes his fists. This multi-part series will be a slimmed-down Reader's Digest version of Hart's amazing life. To read the entire series, go get my new book on Amazon, Frank Hart, The First Black Ultra-Running Star. Search for Frank Hart, that's H-A-R-T, on Amazon. And while you are there, also get my new bestseller book, Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim History. It presents a 130-year history of the rim-to-rim hikers, runners, trails, bridges, Phantom Ranch, and other things you'll see on your run in the canyon, packed with more than 400 photos. Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim History. In 1879, just 12 years after the Civil War ended, Frank Hart of Boston, Massachusetts, became the first black running superstar in history and the most famous black athlete in America. In a sense, he was the Jackie Robinson of the sport of ultra running in the 19th century, overcoming racial barriers to compete at the highest level in the world in the extremely popular spectator sport of ultra running or pedestrianism. Frank Hart's full story has never been told before. It is an important story to understand, both for the amazing early inclusiveness of the sport and to understand the cruel racist challenges he and others faced as they tried to compete with fairness and earn the respect of thousands. He was the first black ultra runner to compete and win against whites in high profile mega mile races. This biography also presents 23 years of amazing pedestrian era history experienced by Hart. He competed in at least 110 ultras, including 11 in Madison Square Garden, where he set a world record running 565 miles in six days in front of tens of thousands of spectators and wagers. During his running career, he won the equivalent of $3.5 million in today's value. Frank H. Hart was believed to have been born in Haiti in 1856. He said his given name was Fred E. Hitchborn, although on several legal documents in the years before he started running and throughout his life, he stated his name was Frank Hart. He said his parents were Joseph Hart and Elizabeth Mallory Hart. It is likely that the Harts adopted him. Frank Hart was not just a stage name as many had believed. Hart's family immigrated to the west end of Boston, Massachusetts in 1866 after the Civil War ended, while he was a boy of about 10 years. Why Boston? The west end of Boston at the time was one of the few areas of the country where blacks were allowed to have a political voice. As a young man in Boston during the 1870s, Hart worked as a grocery clerk, teamster, fireman, and developed into a talented athlete. 
He competed as an amateur in single sculling rolling competitions, where he demonstrated, quote, remarkable staying qualities as an oarsman. Hart married at age 19 in 1875 in Boston to Mary Augusta Berry, who had been born in Norfolk, Virginia. Mary gave birth to two children, Frank S. Hart and Sari Maynard Hart. In 1879, Hart jumped into the pedestrian sport with only a little serious training in a quest to earn more money. He said, I don't really know how I became a pedestrian. I think I caught the infection in the air like some others. I heard a good deal about walking when I came to try. I found I could walk too. So liking it, I kept on it and continued to satisfaction of those interested. His first race was held in April 1879. It was a 30-hour race held at the Music Hall in Boston, with a prize of $100 going to the winner. The race was open to all and was put on by Fred J. Englehart of Boston, the editor of Frank Leslie's Sporting Times. Englehart did not know Hart was a black man until he saw him at the start. When he announced the starters, some of the other competitors objected to having a black man run in the race. Englehart told them that Hart would run, and if they did not like it, they could get out of the race. They all ran. Despite opposition, Hart and Englehart can be credited for breaking the 19th century color barrier in ultra running. Hart said, I never thought of anything, least of all my color, only wanting to walk. He knew he needed to win or he would be back to selling groceries. 40 men started at 6 p.m. on April 25, 1879. Hart certainly was not among the betting favorites, Rather, he was a curiosity. All were surprised when he went into the lead after about 6 hours and 31 miles. Some competitors and spectators tried to, quote, play tricks on Hart to get him mad and hopefully thrown out of the race. Englehart caught a man trying to fling pepper in Hart's eyes, and the angry race director stepped in and decked the man to the ground. He then told everyone to leave Hart alone, or else they would receive the same punishment. Hart won the race with 119 miles in 30 hours, winning the Englehart Medal and the $100. Hart earned a spot in the Interstate Beanpot Competition, representing Massachusetts. This was a relay tournament between teams from Massachusetts, Maine, and Rhode Island, held in a mammoth tent on the Riding Academy in Back Bay, Boston. Each team consisted of 12 runners. Each day for six days, two runners on each team ran for six hours each. Maine came out on top, but Hart ran the second furthest of all the runners, more than 39 miles, earning him the respect of the sport in New England. For the final week of the tournament, Hart competed in a six-day walking match with 20 others. He put on an impressive performance. On day four, running in third place, he competed in an ad hoc sprint against Joseph Coughlin of Warwick, Massachusetts. The last day turned into a fierce race between Richard Lacoste and Hart. Both had spells where they collapsed on the track due to intense heat inside the tent. 
Hart's episode was serious. Every effort was made to revive him, as he was only a few laps behind the house. Although it was thought for a time that he was dead, and after about an hour and a half of unceasing efforts, he revived sufficiently to warrant a removal to his house. He placed second with 424 miles and won $150. In July 1879, Hart placed an impressive second place at O'Leary's six-day, 75-hour race held in Boston's Music Hall, promoted by Engelhardt. That success got the attention of famous American pedestrian Daniel O'Leary of Chicago who took Hart under his wing to train and back financially. Soon Hart would be given the nickname Black Dan, or Young Dan, which was a huge compliment during that era, a black and younger version of the best early pedestrian, Daniel O'Leary. Plans were coming together for the fifth Astley Belt six-day race to be held in Madison Square Garden. The Astley Belt races were a series of world championship six-day races that had been established by Englishman Sir John Dugdale Astley in early 1878. O'Leary entered Hart in the race, which was a, quote, astonishment to the manager of the race, Charles D. Hess, who thought the entry of the black runner seemed strange and should have been approved by the Astley managers in London. This was a major development for a black runner to compete for the greatest prize in the sport, on the biggest stage at Madison Square Garden. There had been other black pedestrians in the sport before Hart, but none had yet competed at this level. The news went around the country that a, quote, Boston Negro was going to compete. O'Leary seriously coached him to get ready for the race. Unwisely, two weeks before the Astley Belt race, on September 8th through the 13th, 1879, Hart competed in a six-day, 12.5 hours per day race at Providence, Rhode Island, in Park Garden, put on by O'Leary. Hart won the Providence race easily with 362 miles, pleasing his friends and proving that he was worthy to compete for the Astley Belt. It was pointed out that he beat 11 white competitors. Five days before the 5th Astley Belt Race, a pre-race meeting was held in New York City at the office of Turf, Field, and Farm, attended by Hart. The first agenda item was whether Hart, a, quote, colored ped, should be allowed to run. Objections were made on account of Hart's color, and a letter of protest from Edward Payson Weston had been presented. Weston argued that the white competitors ought not be compelled to associate with a Negro on the track. George W. Atkinson of the Sporting Life in London, overseeing the race for John Astley, said without hesitation that Hart would not be excluded and quoted competition rules that stated any man could enter who deposited 100 pounds. One of the men said, Do you call that... A man? Engelhart, Hart's backer, spoke up and said, You will find that Frank Hart is a pretty good man. That cut off the racist discussion. Hart signed the race agreement and was given a round of applause. He stated 
that he had recovered from his six-day race the prior week and hoped that it would not hurt his chances. The races for the Astley Belt were the most prestigious six-day races of the era. Daniel O'Leary of Chicago won the first two Astley Belt races. Charles Rowell of England won the third Astley Belt race and brought the belt back to England. Edward Payson Weston won the fourth race and would defend the belt on September 22, 1879 in Madison Square Garden, New York City. A Nasley Belt pre-race description was published that included Frank Hart, the colored boy, is a full-blooded Haitian Negro. He is a round-faced, copper-colored, boyish-looking fellow and looks uncomfortable in the clothes that have been brought for him. He is 22 years of age, reads and writes, weighs about 140 pounds, and is credited with a great deal of shrewdness, pluck, and modesty. When the contestants appeared, O'Leary was at Hart's side, giving him support. All contestants wore large numbers painted in red on black oilskin bibs on their chests. Shortly after midnight, the word go was given, and off they went, with George Hazel of England running fast in the lead. Early on, at the instructions of O'Leary, Hart dogged the heels of former champion Charles Rowell of England, staying just a few feet behind him around the track. He tried to shake Hart off by sprinting at times, but Hart stuck with him in second place. This made Hart a quick favorite among the New York crowd who wanted to see the Englishman lose and cheered Hart repeatedly. Hart's backers had thought that he would receive racist taunts. He had been cautioned by his backers to pay no heed to insults and not let them disturb his performance. But to his surprise, the spectators treated him with almost unvarying courtesy and he encountered no taunts. However, a drunken man did start to yell that, quote, the colored man should be taken off the track. The police quickly ejected the man from the building. The black spectators in the audience gathered and showed their appreciation by cheering for all the runners, not just Hart. The colored boy Hart chews on a quill and plods around at a rattling pace. Hart, who did not grow up in the South, thought it was funny that the newspapers called him a boy since he was 22 years old with a family. After 60 miles, Hart gave up trying to annoy Rowell and stuck to his own pace fighting off cramps. The colored youth has created more surprise than any of the other walkers. O'Leary has taken a great interest in the boy and Hart has imitated the late champion in such perfection. He even carries the corn cobs after the manner of his preceptor. He walks and runs most gracefully. Some bystanders called him a smoked Irishman. Judge John Callahan of the District Court of New York said that Hart was, quote, no Negro at all, but O'Leary painted. Spectators started to call Hart Black Dan. Hart ignored it all, never complained, and implicitly obeyed O'Leary's advice, who at times would dart out, run along with Hart, encouraging him on. 
Hart received many big bouquets of flowers from spectators, including two magnificent floral horseshoes, which were put above the entrance to his tent. One had the words in flowers, Go it, Black Dan. Many black spectators came out to cheer him on. Hundreds of people stood outside the building trying to get glimpses of the runners on the track through the open doors. Hart reached 100 miles in about 21 hours and 110 miles in 24 hours and was in third place. On day two, after his 126th mile, Hart fell on the track and a crowd rushed to see him. O'Leary was quickly at his side and he was carried to a nearby tent. He complained of giddiness and pains in his stomach. A rumor circulated that he had been drugged by outsiders, but O'Leary didn't believe it. An hour later, Hart recovered and returned to the track. Betters were starting to place wagers on Hart. Hart later looked fresh and lively and attracted the applause of the whole building again and again. Hart was asked how he felt about the new nickname that was given to him, Black Dan. He said, I hope Mr. O'Leary won't be offended by it. I am very proud of it. After 48 hours, Hart was in fourth place with 193 miles. Raoul had 215 miles. In the morning of the third day, Hart was rolled up in blankets, put in a cab, and taken to a Turkish bath. He slept while they were undressing him, during the bath, all through the shampooing, in the hot room, until they brought him out to cool on the canvas, and only woke up when they turned the cold water on his face. He then started with a jump, and made a rush as though to get on the track and resume his march. Back at the track, he ate a breakfast of two mutton chops, a little bit of beefsteak, a large plate of chopped up eggs, six pieces of toast, cornbread, and tea. He was worried about eating so much and not leaving anything for others. To see him in his tent eating was as amusing a sight as can be imagined. He often laughed at the idea of being waited on by white men. Fred Englehart, who was on his team, assured him that it was a pleasure to help such a good-natured chap. While Hart sat at the little table, his eyes sparkled with delight. He knocked his knuckles on the table, and with much formality called out, Waiter, some water! When the meal was finished, he took his favorite toothpick from behind his ear, and as he lounged back in his chair, he looked sternly and said, Give me my bill and hurry up! Then, breaking into a ripple of laughter, he jumped up, shook himself, and said, This is bully, and then dashed out on the track again. The attention of Hart's crew was impressive. When the colored boy drew back the flap of the tent and entered, the men in there were lounging in chairs or lying on the floor. The moment they saw him, they were at their feet. Two of them took him in their arms and laid him on the cot bed, as gently, as kindly, as tenderly, and with as much care as if he were the son of a duchess, or better still, their own flesh and blood. And it was an exquisite scene, and it brought out qualities that did honor to human nature. At the end of day three, Hart was still in fourth place, with 273 miles. Raoul was leading with 310. During the long early hours of day five, a cry was heard from Hart's tent. Put him out! 
People feared that someone was trying to assault Hart, but soon Inglehart appeared at the door of the canvas house and assured everyone that Hart was fine. He explained that one of the attendants, who had not slept for several nights, who was in the act of cooking Hart's supper, had laid his head on his hand for a moment on the table beside the gas stove, and his hat took fire. One side of his head was in flames, but he slept on and took no notice of it. They rescued the man and put him out. Such were the hazards of being a 19th century crew. A well-known trainer was asked who he thought was the best walker on the track. His reply was, Black Dan without any doubt. That boy has not had a fair show here. He ran a race only a week before he came in here. It's amazing to see what he is doing. In my opinion, Dan will wear the belt yet. On the final day, Hart fought hard to keep fourth place, running ahead of George Guyon from Chicago, Illinois. It was a continuous fight between the two. First one would force the pace to run and then the other. This was just what people enjoyed, and they did what they could do to urge them on. O'Leary was pleased with Hart's performance and said, He is making a good race. He is receiving telegrams and letters from all over the country, and flowers and presents are pouring in by the bushel. Hart is a good boy, and I am fond of him. He will make his fortune at walking. The building was filled with thousands of people. A ceaseless human tide streamed in every minute through the great main entrance. Every seat was taken up. You can scarcely get within six feet of either rail. All the narrower walks were blocked and impassable. The great central arena was alive with one moving, shouting mass. When Hart ran past 450 miles, the crowd shouted with great enthusiasm. By achieving that milestone, he would have a share of the gate receipts. In the end, the Englishman, Raoul, won the Astley belt again with 530 miles. A perfect roar went up for all sides as Raoul passed along with the stars and stripes over his shoulders. Cheer after cheer went up until all else was drowned. People grew frantic with excitement and stood upon one another in an effort to see the truck. Hats were thrown in the air, handkerchiefs waved, and feet stamped until the very building shook. Hart had held on to fourth place, finishing with 482 miles, 27 miles ahead of the legendary Weston. The band played Home Sweet Home, and the audience started to leave the building. It was no small matter to get an audience of something like 10,000 people out of five narrow doors, and it was more than a half an hour before everybody was out. The crush at the doors was tremendous, and thousands strolled about the house waiting wisely for a turn. Small boys and ambitious young men walked short spurts on the track and looked curiously at the tents, but at length everyone was out as well as the lights. Hart smiled and walked into his tent with the air of a champion. He sat down on the chair, stretched his legs out before him, closed his eyes, and sank back on the chair. O'Leary said, Well, Frank, you've done well. Hart smiled and replied, 
The only thing I am sorry for is that the belt is going back to England. Looking at the mass of floral arrangements around his tent, Hart guessed that he would have to hire an express wagon to get them all home. When it was time to go, Hart walked out on the 27th Street entrance of Madison Square Garden between his trainers where a carriage was waiting for him. The crowd cheered him as he passed, and hundreds of pleasant words that were sent after him seemed to please him. He got into the carriage with O'Leary and Inglehart, and as soon as the door was closed, sank back on the cushions and, closing his eyes, said, My, wasn't that a crowd? Never saw such a big crowd in all my life. As the carriage drove down the road, a crowd of adoring fans followed and tried their best to see him through the window. The next day, Hart arrived by train back in Boston and was met by a large crowd at the depot, which pleased him. Asked how he felt, he replied, I am all right, feel good, and should feel so, as I am satisfied that my fellow citizens have appreciated my efforts to recapture the belt. A banquet was held that evening in his honor, quote, participated in not only by citizens of his own color, but by all true Americans. Frank Hart, the first truly successful black ultra runner, had competed on the world's biggest stage. The world was surprised and noticed. Hart the Negro, who entered the contest almost under protest, and who was looked upon almost slightingly by his fellows on the track, won not only a good record and place, but that which was of greater value, respect, and admiration for his modest, manly bearing and plucky work. Receptions were held in his honor, including one put on by the Centennial Club of Cambridge, Massachusetts, held at Payne Memorial Hall. He was given an elegant solid silver water service by his Boston friends. Outside of Boston, Hart had his critics. In Chicago, it was falsely reported that during the recent Astley Belt race, he had been forced to run like a slave. His trainers forced the Negro pedestrian to keep upon the track. He was wretchedly exhausted and made repeated efforts to escape from the ring, but as often as they compelled him to go on, with the idiotic self-torment. In New York, they praised him, but considered him to be an exception to his race. This dusky young Apollo is a picture of grace and power. It is not the physique that we associate with men of his color. There is none of the slouch of the plantation about him. He is in earnest with just intent on his work. Spectators paid more than $70,000 for tickets during the week. For his effort, Hart won a staggering $3,750, valued at $111,000 today. Hart was now a very rich man, and this was only the beginning of his fame and fortunes yet to come. Stay tuned for more on Frank Hart. If you like this story of Frank Hart, please support Ultra Running History by going to Amazon and purchasing the new book, 
Frank Hart, the first black ultra-running star. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.